0: morning we're continuing our series called uh, the Easter Experience. And over the last few weeks we've been kind of walking through the story and we talked uh, a bit about him being rejected by the people. We talked about the the torture that he experienced at the hands of the soldiers. We talked about how um, people just didn't get what he was here for. And this morning we're going to be talking about how he was deserted by his friends, and uh, you know when we think about the whole Easter story and how how that worked, how that played out, um, sometimes we can kind of get an idea of, well, you know, if I were in that position, not moving I'm not sure what I'm doing. Um, if I were in that position. You know, I would do it differently. Or I wouldn't have, you know, done this or done that. seems really hot. Is it too hot? Yeah, I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. But I want you to, for a moment, just picture... um, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's been through an excruciating weekend. And as he looks out into the crowd, there are very few friendly faces looking back in his direction. He's been completely deserted. His mom is there. One of his disciples is there. Uh, Another a woman who's, who's one of his followers, she's there kind of keeping his mom from falling to the ground in her grief and in her agony. The soldiers have dismissed him as they sit there next to the cross and they're gambling for his clothing. The crowds are mocking him, telling him, hey, come on, if you really are the son of God, come on down. But probably the response that was most troubling to Christ as he hung there was that he hung there alone. His mom is there. Mary's there. John, the only one of the disciples are there. Everyone else is gone. They had followed him for three and a half years they had hung out together they had fished together they had eaten together they had they had taught together they had seen him do incredible miraculous things and in his greatest hour of need they are nowhere to be found and things got hard and they bolted have you ever felt that way where you were all by yourself Everyone that you knew, everyone that you thought was with you is gone, and you're going through it all by yourself. Um, I, I heard this story about a Desert Storm soldier um, from, from the 90s who, while he was in the midst of Desert Storm, there uh, the mail came, and in his mail packet was a letter from his girlfriend. And uh, in the letter, she states that she had found someone else And she was breaking up with him, and she was going to be marrying this other guy. And could you please mail me back my picture? Because I really like that picture, and I want to use it for our engagement picture in the paper. And so here is this guy on the other side of the planet, literally laying his life down, and and his girlfriend decides, you know, I I think I found greener pastures. Send me back my picture. Talk about feeling deserted or rejected. This guy was devastated. But what's amazing is the guys in his unit all got together, and and this is it's kind of mean, but it's kind of uh, kind of justice. Every guy in his unit pulled out their pictures of their girlfriend and they filled a shoebox full of pictures. And he mailed the shoebox to his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, and said, um, I mailed back your picture, um, and so. but what I need you to do is find yours. Because honestly, I can't remember what you look like. <laughs> and if you could please mail back the rest. Yeah. Can't remember which one you were. Nobody likes to be betrayed. Nobody likes to be deserted. It doesn't feel good, and it's not even enjoyable. I, I would hope that you wouldn't feel this way to to see it happen in someone else's life. Is it when you know someone that you love, you care about, your friends with to see them completely abandoned? It's 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 hard, and you know it was one thing for the crowds and for the soldiers to do what they did to Christ. But where were the disciples? They were nowhere to be found. They had seen miracles. They had seen the dead raised. They had seen the lame walk, blind eyes opened. Where were they? So this morning I want to take a look at at, at three different groups, I want to look at the disciples as a whole. I want to look at Peter, and I want to look at Judas as we kind of explore how Jesus felt as he's there in these last hours of his life. As we as we make this journey to the cross this Easter. First, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to talk about the disciples' story. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 26, we're going to look at a number of verses in chapter 26 and 27, but in uh, t- Matthew 26, verse 36, we read this. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful, sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And then going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you not keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. You would think that if that happened to you, you would do everything that you could. You know, I, I, I think about the, the scene from uh, Mr. Bean's vacation. Uh, Bean's Vacation, where where he's driving down the road and he can't stay awake, right? And he's shaking Shaking his face face. And, and he's putting sticks in his eyes. If I were Peter and Jesus came to me and reprimanded me once, don't fall asleep. Can't you at least stay awake? I would be doing everything that I could so that it didn't happen again, right? Two more times, he comes back and they're sleeping, And it wasn't like he was just saying to, to the whole group. He kind of even gave the, the rest of the disciples an out. It was kind of like, look, I know that you guys aren't going to be able to stay awake, the, the nine. But you three, at least you three, should be able to stay with me in this. You know, one of you is going to refer to yourself as the favorite disciple anyway. You can't stay awake. And, and you, you're the, Peter, you're the one. Who who said, no matter what, Jesus, I won't let anything happen to you. You can stay away, can't you? Jesus said to his sleeping disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, for us, I think that that comes into play a lot. where, Where we have great intentions, of what we want our devotional life to look like, and, and we want to get up early and to spend that extra 30 minutes in prayer, and we end up spending those 30 minutes watching a reality television show. We want to get up early and spend time reading the Bible, but we end up hitting the snooze button just that once more time. And we know what kind of a parent that God wants us to be. We know what he expects of us. But, and and, and, you know, and we're, we're doing everything that we can to do that well. Um, but after a long day at work, we come home. And, and rather than trying to carve out that time to play with our kids, to talk with our kids, to, to spend time with them, it's easier to ship them off the bed and plop down on the couch. guilty of it. When we think about the disciples' story, I want you to think about these two words. I want you to think about fatigue and fear. For the disciples, they were were wiped out. They couldn't even stay awake. Whether they were tired, fatigued because they had you know exerted themselves, whether they were tired because they had just gorged themselves on, on the Passover feast, and you know, after you have a huge meal, it's tough to stay awake afterwards. And 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 whether they were tired because they were tired or, or, or what, but um, fatigue and fear when when the the men came. They, you know, they're they're sleeping, and then all of a sudden, there's this crowd of angry men with torches and swords and weapons. Not only are they tired, now they wake up out of out of a, a dead sleep and they're scared. What what's going on? I I remember. Have you ever been woken up, like terrified, by something? Um, I, I'm reminded of when I was a teenager. And my parents made the mistake of leaving me home alone, and they went away for a weekend for a vacation, and so we thought that that was a great opportunity for um, all my guy friends to come over, and we were going to spend the weekend watching as many horror flicks as we could possibly watch. Texas Chain Massacre, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and we watched them like back to back, a whole night of just carnage. And I remember at one point I fell asleep and I kind of I kind of fell between the couch and, and the footstool and so I'm on the floor asleep and one of my friends, so now the person who's responsible for the house is unconscious, uh, not from any substance, just tired because it's three in the morning and I was 16, 17 and my friends are now loose in my house and one of my friends was exploring my house and found my brother had a clown mask. And so he took the clown mask, turned it inside out, and put it on. If you ever looked at a latex mask from the inside out, it's pretty creepy. Looks kind of like Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then they went and discovered that in the garage was the gas-powered weed whacker. And so as I'm laying on the ground, My friend, who I call friend, put on this mask, put one foot on the footstool, one foot on the couch, and fired up the weed whacker over the top of my head. It's a good thing I didn't sit up. I was scared. Waking up scared is no fun. All I wanted to do was crawl, dig a hole through the floor to get as far away from him as I could. And these guys wake up in the middle of the night and there's guys with swords and torches and they were scared. Maybe for us, maybe it's not fatigue or or fear, um, but like the disciples, maybe we desert Jesus when, when we fear that he's going to ask more of us than we're really willing to give. Maybe um, we have a fear of commitment. You want a relationship with Christ. You want to be able to, to call yourself a Christian, but as long as it's convenient and as long as it's comfortable and as long as it works to your advantage, you're in. But when following Him starts to take you down an unpredictable path where it might actually cost you something, running for the trees looks awfully good. The disciple's story is one of fatigue and fear. Is yours? Secondly, let's look at Simon Peter. Peter's the guy that's the leading spokesman for the group. He's the one that, when when anything needs to get done, he makes sure that it gets done. You ever been in a, a group, maybe at work, and you're assigned a project? And and, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like somebody needs to kind of take the reins and be the voice of the group. I, I remember when I was on jury duty, one year, and and we were just going and I wasn't the foreman. I was I was just part of the jury, and we were going around and around and around, and no one could come to a decision. And we just couldn't we couldn't figure out um, how are we going to make this decision and. And there was not conflicting information, but it was just, it was scattered all over the place. So I raised my hand and I said to the foreman, I said, would you mind if I just offered a suggestion? And she said, sure. And, and, and so I pulled out paper and, and, a, and a Sharpie marker, and, and we took all of the different pieces that we knew. And because we couldn't keep all the facts straight. And so I wrote on a piece of paper, fact number one, this we know and can agree on, that this happened. Yes, this is a fact. And they were like, yes, we agree on that. Good. Stuck it on the wall with a piece of tape. All right, let's move to the next piece. And we worked our way through it. And so then we got to a place where these are the things that we know we agree on. These are the things that we're like, eh, we're not really. Somebody's on this side of it. Somebody's on that side of it. But you're in a group, and and you need somebody to kind of pull the reins in and say, this is what needs to happen. This is what we need to talk about. Peter was that guy. He's he's essentially the the unofficial lead disciple along with James and John um, and was very close. And, And earlier in Matthew 26, just before this prayer time in the Mount of Olives, Jesus says to his disciples, you are all going to fall away and desert me tonight. And they can't believe it. And look at what Peter says on the group's behalf in Matthew 26, verse 33 and 30 through 35. Peter says this, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus looks at him and answers, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same in in uh, our our church experience um, we were part of a, a fairly large church in Ohio when I was a youth pastor. We had six or seven hundred people and every year we did this massive Easter production called the promise and and I always got cast as Peter and you know. Trying to put your, yourself in, in Peter's head and trying to understand why Peter did what he did, why Peter said what he said. Um, I, I I hear what Peter's saying, and, and it's interesting. Um, I, I don't know how many of you are, are in, in a, a life group at LifeQuest, but we have our life groups that meet throughout the week, and this semester we're going through this material called the Easter Experience. It's kind of a uh, a partner to what we're doing on Sunday mornings. And it is amazing. I mean, and I know that as the pastor, it's my responsibility to say that everything that we do is amazing. But this stuff that we're using this semester for Easter experience is probably the best produced material I have ever seen when it comes to telling the story of what happened at Easter. If you're not in a life group, it's not too late. You need to plug into a life group and at least catch where we're going between now and Easter, you will not be disappointed. Just absolutely amazed when, when we see the story portrayed of the, the soldiers coming in the middle of the night and, and Jesus steps up because, you know, the, his guys are scared. They're woken up out of their sleep. There's a group of guys with torches and, and swords and spears. And Jesus says to them, who are you looking for? Knowing full well they're here for him. And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, it's me. Scriptures say that when he says, I am he, they knock to the ground. Jamie said this last week. They were knocked to the ground. And, and Peter, once they, once they finally get off of the ground and go to arrest Jesus, there's a fight that breaks out. And so some of the disciples all of a sudden realize, oh, man, we need to do something here. They're coming to arrest him. And and somehow in the scuffle of all of this, Peter pulls out his sword. And I think in his mind, he's thinking, I promised that I would die with him. I promised that I wouldn't leave him. I promised. I I, I said that, that no matter what, I'm not going to leave you and and in the conflict one of the high priest's servants a guy named Malchus gets his ear chopped off right you remember the story now i don't know about you but you know when you read the stories growing up as a kid the flanograph versions of things and and you you get the the picture of the here they come in the garden and there's guys with smiles and torches and and, and Guy you know the guy the way you make the disciples sleep is you take the stand up version and you lay them down right for those of you that remember the flanograph days, but in my head, I always kind of pictured the 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 servant's ear getting you know, because it's all sanitized and flanagraphized that Peter pulls out his sword and just kind of went clink right. That's not how you cut off somebody's ear. You know how you cut off somebody's ear? You go after their head. And in the ducking, you catch the ear. Peter was saying, I am going to lay my life down. And he goes after Malchus, and Malchus sees it coming. And And Jesus stoops down and he picks up the ear and he puts it back on. And Peter's standing there with his sword on like, I've never seen that before. And Jesus willingly goes with them. And Peter's still left standing there in the garden with the sword in his hand. Oh my goodness. And it's amazing when you see how the story plays out. They arrest Jesus. They take him to the high priest. He's getting beaten He's going through an entire night where people are lying about him, attacking him, spitting on him, punching him. And the Bible says that Peter followed at a distance. I think if we can say that fear and fatigue are the words that define the disciples, arrogance would be the word that we would kind of attribute to Pete. Pride. Pride. Look at that passage again. Even if it all falls, if, if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. Look at how many times he uses the word I. And it's almost like, you know, it's, you ever been in, in a group and, and one person throws everybody else under the bus Peter's saying, look, Jesus, I am with you. I'm, I'm in. These guys, I don't know. But I will not. I'm not, I'm not going to leave. I'm with you. And I believe that in that moment, he truly believed it. I don't think that he was lying. I don't think, I don't, generally, I don't think that he was throwing the other disciples under the bus. Uh, but I think that in that moment, he really thought, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you to the end. But when he said the words, there were no soldiers. There was no mob. There were no swords or whips. There was just a group of people who loved Jesus. And it was easy to say, I will never leave you, Jesus. Peter says, they might, but I won't. My my daughter is a, a fan of of the Bieber. And and the Bieber has a song, Never Say Never. Right? Peter says, I will never betray you. The Bible says that, that pride comes before a fall. Pride causes us to overestimate ourselves and underestimate our need. To underestimate our need to depend on God. And, and dealing with pride is tough because when you struggle with pride, you can't see it. It's kind of the nature of pride. When you are struggling with it, everyone else can see it, but you can't. And we have no problem spotting it in other people, but we rarely see it in ourselves because pride is blinding. Obadiah um, I don't have to tell you the chapter because it's just Obadiah verse 3 um, says this it says the pride of your heart has deceived you in other words what's keeping you from seeking or what's keeping you from seeing the pride in your life is the pride in your life and pride keeps Peter from recognizing his vulnerability pride is is blinding to Peter so he can't see what's going to come. Now, we skip ahead in the chapter. We see Peter's story unfolding after the arrest of Christ. And Peter is following at a distance to see what's going to happen. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 69, it says, Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, And a servant girl came to him. She says, you were also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. Number one. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway. There another girl saw him. And she said to the people standing around there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. You sound like him. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. It's One of those things where when you're confronted and you don't know, where you stand, it's easy to hide. It's easy to say, you know, I, I no, that's, that's not who I am. I remember in, in seventh grade when uh, my parents pulled me out of private school and put me back into public school. And uh, they, they had pulled us out of the public school system and put us in a private Christian school um, somewhere around second grade, And then in seventh grade, things at my school just kind of went wacky. Uh, My sister's fourth grade teacher got mad at the principal. And the principal got mad at the fourth grade teacher. And so the next year, the principal uh, made the fourth grade teacher the janitor. And the guy who was the janitor came back as the fourth grade teacher. And so my parents said, it's time to leave. And so uh, it happened halfway into the fall semester of my seventh grade year. And I got plopped from a class of six into Gates Chai Lai Middle School class of 500 in October, mid to late October. Didn't know where my locker was. Everyone else knew where everything was because they'd already been there for a month and a half. Already knew their routines, already knew their friends, already knew everything. And I had no idea where anything was. I had one friend, a girl who lived on my street. And when people would confront me to even, I think, just to be friendly to me, I didn't know how to respond to it. And so I had friends who I'd been friends with in kindergarten that now I, I see them. I'm like, oh, we were friends back, back then, and, and now here you are now. And what didn't register in my head is that in that time, they had changed and And they had become in 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 gates in the in the '80s, they were the long underwear flannel shirt, black engineer uh, motorcycle boot, uh, heavy metal crowd, and so I thought, I need to fit in with this crowd, because I know these guys they were they were my friends. <laughs> And so in an effort to fit in, I thought that to be like those kids, you had to talk like those kids. And so I became the most foul-mouthed seventh grader you could ever imagine. You could take, it was almost an art form. Uh, And even so much that even that crowd, they were like, whoa, Dickerson, you know. You don't have to use the F word in every sentence. But here's Peter And he's doing his best to fit in. He's scared of what's going to happen. He doesn't know what's going to go on. And so even in his denial, he starts swearing at them. Trying to prove I'm not one of them. Listen to me swear as I deny that I'm one of the disciples. I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. In Luke, Luke adds this. It's almost kind of like Luke's like adding the extra zinger to Pete, just as a reminder. Luke adds a specific detail. And he says that as Peter's cursing and denying that last time, when he pulls out all the stops and he's dropping the F-bombs as he's denying Christ, it says that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. As Peter, as Jesus is being led from Caiaphas' house, it was God's timing. And at that moment, their eyes met. And I don't believe that the look in Jesus' eyes was a proud, "I told you so. Told But I think that there was definitely the disappointment of you let me down. So the disciples struggled with fatigue and fear. Peter was blinded by arrogance, deserted by his friends. The third person I want to look at this morning is is one that that sometimes gets uh, I think the short end of the stick a lot. Is Judas. I'm not trying to to minimize what Judas did, but I think we we kind of have a a, a, not a complete picture of Judas um, because I think that a fairly good case can get made for up until the betrayal, Judas was one of Jesus' closest friends. You don't put a guy in charge of the money that you don't trust. Right? You don't put a guy, you don't give a guy the checkbook if you think that this guy's gonna be sneaky. But you know, every time you look at portrayals of Judas, he's he's angry and and he's you know he's he's you know, Peter and John, they're always cast with really good looking guys. And then Judas is a brute. Big, bushy, you know, unibrow. Scowl Judas. Bleh. And you're, it's easy to say, oh yeah, yeah, I see it. That, that guy. I wouldn't trust that guy. But if we understand the seating arrangement arrangements in the Jewish culture, when you look at uh the 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 Last Supper, um And look at the conversations that they had at the Last Supper. It appears that John was on Jesus' right side and that Judas was sitting at his left, which was actually a a seat of honor, a seat of, of position. The Old Testament in Psalm 41, verse 9, was written thousands of years before Christ's birth, and this is what it says. It says, even my close friend, whom I trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me now if if you were on family feud and the question was one hundred people surveyed name someone who betrayed a friend you would say Judas you know we're we're in the process of exploring as a family uh, getting a, a puppy and we're we're Trying to figure out names, you know, if, if 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 we get the puppy and what's the puppy's name going to be? Judas is not on the list, <laughs> right? You know, in in my mind, you know, the the the, the little guy that we're looking at right now, um, he's the biggest of the litter, and and he's he's beautiful. Well, go Goli- I was thinking Thor something, and and so my wife is like, I do not want to be speaking that in my house of you know, this monstrosity you know, warrior battle name every time. And, and so she says, can we think of a name that's peaceful? Can we have a peaceful name? I'm like, I am not naming my enormous yellow lab Foo Foo. <laughs> He's got to have a dude's name. And she, she, she wants his name to be peaceful. No, 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 I didn't say the word. It, to mean Peaceful. So thankfully tiny doesn't work. Thankfully I think we got a name but we don't know yet. We got to see him before we apply the name to see if it sticks. But my 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 vote right now is uh, Axel. Axel Axel means peace. It means it means father of peace. Um, Axel works. Axel's good. But it wouldn't be Judas. And of the 12 disciples, this is interesting. As I was kind of pulling things together for this morning, I I didn't know this. Somehow I kind of missed all of this. Judas is the only outsider in the disciples, in the group. Of the 12, 11 of them are from Galilee. They're all from the same neighborhood. They all went to the same high school. They were all from Gates, Chilai. And Judas is from Hilton. He's from, he's from a region called Keriath, and it was in southern Judah. He was from a different town. He was from a different school district. He's not one of them. And, and you know, you would think that, that he's often mischaracterized that at the table, when Jesus looks around and says, someone sitting here at this table is going to betray me. Our natural mind automatically goes, well, all the Gates people look at the Hilton kid and say, It's him! Anytime we see uh, that. But, but again, remember, the most trusted guy in the group is the guy you give the checkbook to. That was Judas. But a couple of words that you can write down next to Judas' name that I think is what caught him in the trap he was caught in are, are the words greed and disillusionment. Judas had some expectations of who the Messiah was supposed to be that Jesus did not meet. His expectation was that the Messiah was going to come and wipe out the whole system and reinstitute the glory of David's kingdom, where Israel was in charge of the whole place. And he just could not get his head around, my kingdom is not of this earth. You know, a lot of times for us as Christians, you hear stories of people turning their backs on God because they didn't think that God was doing his job right. He didn't come through for me in this. He didn't come and help me through that situation. And we get this idea that if I'm a Christian, that I won't have any financial problems. Or if I'm a Christian, I won't have any health issues. I won't have to worry about my mom going into the hospital. I won't have to worry because I'm a Christian and God's going to just make everything better. It's not the life that we're promised. Look at the cross. Jesus suffered more than anyone had ever suffered. He died at the age of 33 young. It's a man of 42, 33, man. You remember 33, don't you? I think it was yesterday. Sometimes I hear athletes that that give credit to God, right? the, the, The Tebow move of dropping to one knee and pointing and, and I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it kind of gets me when, when you think about the, the, the athlete who says, yeah, I prayed, and I made that last shot, and I prayed that God would make it go in the basket, and, and it did, and so I give all glory to God that I made that basket, and our team won. And then I think about the Christians on the other team who prayed to the same God, And so does God like this guy more than he likes that guy? Or what happens when he prays that it goes into the basket and then the next game God answers the prayer of the guy on the other team and the ball doesn't go in? Disillusionment. Hey, wait a second. I think that's what happened with Judas. So, this morning, as as we wrap up, maybe you're here and you struggled with some of these things with fear, with fatigue, with uh, arrogance, or with greed, or, or disillusionment. These are all parts of our story, too. We struggle with the same things. Question is, For the disciples and for us, it comes down to a choice. When things get difficult, when our kids get sick, when the heat is on, when finances are tight, when we're laid off from our job, how will you answer life's question, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with him? There's a story about a a missionary... Who had served on the foreign field for thirty years, and his his term was up, and he was retiring. He was an old man, and was coming back to the states. And his daughter had had bought a home that had an in law quarters, and her she was going to let her father live out uh, the remainder of his of his years um, living in the apartment attached to the house. And so he's been gone from the states for thirty years, and. Um, To get to where his daughter lived in New Mexico, he had to fly into Las Vegas and make a connection. And something happened and the the flights got mismatched and so he had to spend the night in Vegas. And so here's this missionary who's not been in the United States for 30 years and begins to walk through the lights and the, the mad food specials and drink specials and the amazing entertainment and walking past casino after casino of, of people, cha-ching, 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 pulling on those arms and just slapping quarters and dollars and whatever. As he walked back to his hotel, he went to his room in the hotel and looked out over the city as he opened the curtains to his window. And he prayed. He said, God, I thank you that tonight I haven't seen anything that I want more than I want you. Everything the world has to offer there. He says, God, I haven't seen anything that I want more than you. I want to quote as I close uh, the words from one of my favorite hymns. Yes, I said I have a favorite hymn. I know it's that. Waiting for the Earthquake. It's a powerful song. It says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to His dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to His holy name. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would help us to overcome our fears, to overcome the fatigue, that you would take the blinders off of our eyes if we struggle with arrogance or with greed or with disillusionment. Lord, that we would not be those that would run, we would be faithful. Father, we love you. We ask for your help. Because on our own, we can't. On our own, the fear overwhelms. On our own, the arrogance blinds. On our own, the disillusionment just consumes us. God, we need you. We love you. In Jesus' name. pray God's blessings over you this week. If you're able to stick around and help put things back, that would be greatly appreciated. If not, this week, have a great week. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you talk about. Um, We have a membership class coming up um, April 1st. You'd be foolish not to be there. Um, The, no one laughed. Membership on April 1st. You'd be foolish not to be there. Sheesh. But if you're, Yeah, I know. It's not as funny. Um, If you're not a member and would like more information about being a member, April 1st we'll have a membership class. It's a lunch and learn. We have it right here after service. And uh, so we'd love to have you there. If you're interested in helping with Journey to the Cross, uh, come let us know. Blessings.